Hello and welcome back to the Holistically Awakened podcast. So today is going to be a little bit different because I'm going to be answering your latest PCOS questions um, that you asked me in my private Facebook group. If you aren't part of it, highly recommend joining us. You can ask all your questions. There's a really supportive community and we do have some trainings in there that we like to provide for you guys. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Please consult with your medical provider or practitioner for your own needs and to assess what is best for you. So the first question is about menopause. So she says that she has a marina coil fitted. Um, she had blood work three months ago, showing no sign of being even premenopausal. Looking for info, not finding much. Reading that PCOS women tend to go through menopause a few years later than the average norm. Do PCOS symptoms disappear? Will I stop having a hairy chin? Will it be easier to lose weight? Okay, so I will get into menopause and PCOS. However, PCOS doesn't just go away with age because it's not just an ovarian issue. In fact, it's a lot less about the ovaries than it is about metabolic imbalances, for instance. And we need to remember that there is a genetic component. So this means that it doesn't matter what age you are. You have to address why these symptoms are manifesting for you. They're not random. They are telling you something is off and they will not completely disappear with age. Having the marina will also affect your hormones because of the synthetic hormones being secreted. So just something to keep in mind. Um, the, the thing I really want to hit home here is the longer that we go against our own bodies by eating poorly, not taking care of ourselves, lacking sleep, following sedentary lifestyle, thinking toxic thoughts, not addressing emotional trauma, not addressing infections, et cetera, nutrient deficiencies, the more likely we will experience symptoms and the more work there will be. So many of our organs can actually become sluggish as a result as we age, like the liver and the pancreas. And I see this commonly when it comes to chronic stress, because if we don't take care of our body and our stress response, then as menopause shows up and the ovaries start to shut down, the adrenal glands actually have to take over much more work. And if they are not equipped, like if our nervous system is completely like depleted and we just haven't been taking care of ourselves and we've just been like, you know, burning both ends of the candle, then we can have a much harder time and see symptoms like belly fat, weight gain, cravings, energy issues, low libido, etc. Though you can still heal regardless. So we need to remember as well when it comes to healing, it takes at least one month of healing per year of illness. And if you've been, you know, dealing with things for a very long time, then it's going to take a little bit of work, but totally possible. When it comes to menopause, menopause usually hits later for PCOS women, which means the fertile window will be extended. PCOS is, again, not just about the ovaries. So when the ovaries start to decline, this doesn't mean PCOS goes away. Remember, it's largely a metabolic condition that is fed by epigenetic factors. And there are these chronic um, issues and risks that come with PCOS. Things like inflammation, prediabetes, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. These are all risk factors. If not taken care of, they can increase as we age. So interestingly, with menopause, women with PCOS have fewer hot flashes and menopausal symptoms than PCOS women without, sorry, than non-PCOS women, but they do experience more hirsutism. So again, we need to address why. You can reverse this symptom and manage it to keep it under control by addressing what is causing you to have these high androgens 
to cause hirsutism or whatever symptom you're dealing with. When it comes to weight, there are usually problems due to insulin resistance. It's a big factor when it comes to stubborn weight issues. And this can become worse during menopause if nothing is done about it due to the decreased function of the pancreas and inflammation and all of these sorts of things. So I do have an extensive masterclass that talks about the root cause approach and holistic management of PCOS, which I will link in the show notes. It is quite extensive and it goes into, okay, what does this even mean to manage PCOS holistically? Completely free, so highly recommend to tune in. Next question I have is why do we get PCOS? Is hair loss from PCOS reversible? I have no energy with PCOS and don't find much motivation or interest in things. Depression must be associated with PCOS. How do we balance our hormones? Does the extra body hair ever go away? Okay, so this is a loaded question. I'm going to um, address it bit by bit. So PCOS is a multifactorial disorder that arises from interactions between genetic, environmental, intrauterine factors. I'm going to talk about this. So this can look like gut dysbiosis. So this would be an epigenetic phenomenon. Toxins, exposure to androgens in utero. So this means exposure to androgens when you're in the womb. There is a genetic component. However, it's only one piece of the puzzle. When we have a genetic condition, it's only one factor to the development of the condition. Epigenetics play a larger role in the development of diseases and also the severity of the PCOS phenotype and symptoms. And this is why um, just saying like you have PCOS, like that's it, too bad for you, is just very detrimental because it's literally just one tiny piece of the puzzle. We need to know like what's going on here and it's very disempowering. And the science is now showing that epigenetics play a much larger role in the development of disease. Um, and then it's also something worth, worth saying that I hear a lot that um, people will say, you know, well, it's just because of PCOS, the cause is PCOS, but the cause is not PCOS, the cause is underneath that. And we need to figure out what is the cause for you. And so basically, as a summary, genes are loading the gun, but epigenetics are pulling the trigger. And this is great because this means we have a lot of control. And this is also why PCOS is so um, responsive to diet and lifestyle changes and why I am all about this. This is what my coaching is all about. So unhealthy lifestyle, diets, infections, these can all increase the risk of PCOS and worsen phenotypes. And this means we need to address things like infections, it's going to look like gut infections, viral infections, diet, lifestyle, emotional health, mindset. These are all things that we need to address and put together. So symptoms are only a manifestation of inner imbalances going on. Symptoms don't need to burden us forever. They're actually manageable and reversible. And they're only messengers because if we just slap on a Band-Aid onto the symptom, then there's going to be another symptom and another symptom because your body is literally crying out for help. So we need to see what's going on here. So you can absolutely reverse your PCOS symptoms, but balancing hormones means addressing the root cause for you. There is no one universal approach. Testing can be a good place to start to assess what is driving your PCOS. And this can look like inflammation, chronic stress, insulin resistance. Those are usually the three core foundations. So we want to see like which type are you more of a dominant type, though they can obviously all be contributors. And just a piece on the imbalanced hormones, a common overlooked place for any hormone imbalances is the gut. And honestly, if you have any sort of hormone imbalance, you do have gut problems because it all starts there. 
And this is always where I start with my clients too. And so I do have a free basic testing guide for PCOS if you haven't really dug into maybe like, you know, insulin resistance piece or the inflammation piece or, you know, your thyroid or whatever. And I'm going to post that in the show notes as well. So you can at least get some of that testing to see what's going on and maybe get some more answers. In terms of extra body hair. So yes, you can get this under control as well. Antiandrogenic therapies can help to reduce androgens, but they are only band-aids which means we need to address the root cause, like with anything, at the same time in order to actually resolve the problem. So there are obviously synthetic antiandrogenic therapies and then natural ones. So I really like things like spearmint tea, zinc, reishi, green tea. I've actually seen um, changes in my hirsutism after using spearmint tea at two cups daily for about a month. This is what the research has been showing as well. Um, and the more I do it, the more I see a difference too. And so it does take some time, but it's super cheap and it's literally tea. So something really easy that you can do while you address the underlying cause. And so common causes of these elevated male sex hormones that can cause this extra body hair in PCOS include insulin resistance, inflammation, and chronic stress. And so again, are you sick of hearing these already? <laughs> it all really still stems from the same three things over and over again. And so we wanna look at, you know, what is playing a, a part for you. So I highly recommend testing to see if your androgens are more of an adrenal-based type or ovarian-based. High testosterone is usually an indicator of ovarian androgens, and adrenal stress hormones such as DHAS are usually an indicator of more of an adrenal picture, but they can both be present. For me, I have more of an adrenal picture. I had DHAS that was elevated. I'm just, you know, very stress prone and always been like under a lot of stress. So I've really had to work with on that and I've seen profound changes, but obviously um, they can both feed into each other. Um, but it's really important to kind of address like what is really the driving factor for you. In terms of depression, research shows that PCOS women are twice as likely to experience depression. And this can be associated with imbalances like dysbiosis and gut infections. So we know there is a direct link between the gut and the brain via the vagus nerve. And the gut is actually termed as the second brain now. And it's really important to know that because a lot of the time we just focus on the brain, but we need to remember that the whole body is involved with depression. And the gut is a really key um, area to address. Things that can also contribute are nutrient deficiencies, chronic stress. So this means physical, chemical, emotional, and mental stress. Uh, blood sugar imbalances, insulin resistance, inflammation, hypothyroidism. A very common one I see that can go hand in hand with PCOS is thyroid disease, specifically um, hypothyroidism. And this can definitely be a contributor to mental health issues. So in terms of um, PCOS, we are more prone to mental health issues, but this just means we need to address the root imbalances. It doesn't mean we are stuck with depression because we're diagnosed with PCOS. Again, everything is happening for a reason. Let's find out what that reason is. PCOS, as I mentioned, is not the reason. We need to figure out what is the root cause for you. There is always something underneath that is driving this, and there's so many things we can do. When it comes to no energy, I commonly see HPA axis dysfunction, a reason for depleted energy levels, especially with PCOS women and today with our crazy society. Um, this basically means the brain is not communicating properly with the adrenal glands, who then 
fail to produce enough cortisol. And this is usually termed as adrenal fatigue, but now we're starting to use a different term, HPA axis dysfunction, which is the real scientific term, because the adrenals don't just like run out or like burn out. They don't just run out of gas. It starts from the brain because the brain just like, you know, tells them to slow down. We gotta like slow things down here. We're going on overdrive for far too long and we got to put the brakes on. And so this means that we really need to look at our lifestyle first and foremost, because supplements can be great, but if we don't address our lifestyle and we just keep pressing on the gas, but our body needs to slow down, then we're not going to get anywhere. And then another common reason I see for low energy and PCOS is insulin resistance. So very common in PCOS women, affecting most PCOS women, about 75, 70%, 75%. Um, this is where we're not getting the energy needed into the cell. So this results in things like weight gain, cravings, lack of energy. I also have a blog post where I list some of the common reasons to low energy, because there can be many other reasons too, and then what you can do, and I will put that in the show notes. Next question is recent hair loss. Is this due to the pandemic stress or PCOS? So I would say a bit of both, but if this is something recent and started with a significant event like the pandemic, I would associate it with more of a stress response. Though stress is a huge reason for hair loss in general and in PCOS and non-PCOS women. So PCOS isn't again the cause for hair loss, but with PCOS we tend to see high androgens causes hair loss, which is why it's characteristic in PCOS women. So androgens are usually elevated in a PCOS women from, again, chronic stress, inflammation, insulin resistance. So we want to see what is driving that for you. So again, important to address the root cause. But stress management is absolutely essential for any woman with PCOS, and even more so if you are dealing with hair loss. The stress-induced hair loss is usually noticeable within a three-month time frame of a traumatic event or a significant stressor because stress can affect hair follicles three months later. And so you might be wondering, like, maybe now it's hitting you, the hair loss, but it could literally be from something that happened months ago. And you must be wondering, like, maybe, like, I don't get it. Nothing's different now. But it could literally be from the pandemic or something else that happened a few months ago for you. So just something to pay attention to and maybe look at the timeline and see maybe this is something that um, resonates for you. But basically when we have stress, stress can drive up cortisol, this can deplete progesterone and lead to excess estrogen. Progesterone is actually an important hormone for healthy hair as it blocks androgens like testosterone and it can protect the hair follicle. And when stress hormones can drive up androgens, um, it can also convert into more potent form DHT, which is responsible for thinning hair and hair loss. So again, we want to look at um, diet and lifestyle first and foremost, but then investigating what is really causing this for you. But I definitely recommend incorporating some stress management te techniques, which I'm going to talk about um, in the next few questions. I do have a blog post though that goes into much more detail about hair loss because there's many reasons as well. And I'm going to link that in the show notes for you. So my next question is, why has my period stopped and how can I get it back? So this is from a woman who was on birth control for three years. She, just, she decided to go off of it and handle her symptoms holistically. So her cycles have been um, kind of all over the place, but she has had them for the last few months. But now she's at 56 days. She had some spotting around her ovulation predictions, um, took a pregnancy test and it was negative. And she just wants to get her period back. So her exercise routine looks like 
strength training and HIIT three times a week, active rest days with walking or cycling, no dairy or gluten, she's somewhat of a sugar addict, especially now when she's stressed. So it's important to address the factor of stress when it comes to periods, because I think a lot of us overlook this. And we need to remember that actually the stress that we're going through now, but even like in this 21st century, especially if you're living in a city, is just not normal for the body and it's not something the body was equipped to handle. So this is why stress is the number one reason for doctor office visits. And I see this all the time where women are like, I'm not stressed, but stress again is mental, emotional, physical, and chemical. So these are all compounded. And these can also be things that we are not aware of, but that our body is aware of. So since COVID, especially many women have reported, reported a shift in their cycles, which can be due to increased emotional, but also mental stress. And it does sound like stress is a factor for you. It seems like your body is trying to ovulate, but it's being unsuccessful. And this is very common in PCOS where we try multiple times to ovulate, but then we're unsuccessful. You might have a breakthrough bleed or whatever. Um, but we need to figure out why that is. Why is your body having difficulty ovulating? And so without knowing more about you, I would maybe look at modifying your exercise routine a little bit because that could be a physical stress that could be compounding and adding to any of the other stressors in your life because it does sound there like there are others contributing. So the exercise routine might be contributing as well. So I would really incorporate some more gentle movements such as Pilates and yoga, especially during the second half of the cycle where I don't recommend things like HIIT. So supplements are great for things like um, stress management and helping with the stress response and nervous system. But mindfulness activities and stress management practices are important to incorporate on a daily basis because we need to address the foundations. If we're just supplementing but not looking at your lifestyle and how you're living your life, then we're not gonna get really anywhere. So things like slowing down, taking time for fun and play. I know that might be a foreign word for adults these days, myself included, but it's not something that's just reserved for kids. This is something we need to keep going as adults. And things like pleasure as well, whatever form that looks like for you, whether it looks like taking regular care of yourself on a daily basis, things that relax you, that make you happy, that make you smile, taking a, a bath, deep breathing exercises, meditation, journaling, spending time with your loved ones, going outside in nature, whatever it is, I definitely recommend, this is what I tell all my clients to create a joy menu, which includes things that relax them, that bring them joy, and they have to do at least one every single day. It doesn't have to be a crazy thing, it can literally be 10 minutes, but definitely make time for yourself because we need to make ourselves a priority. Um, so there are, those are definitely a place where I would start that with stress management, although there can be many other reasons for missing periods too, like blood sugar issues, inflammation, thyroid issues. Um, so important to maybe look into some testing for these as well, but I would definitely start with the stress management. And then in addition, one thing I just want to mention is with history of the pill, especially if you've been taking it for years or you started really early, the pill does create imbalances such as depleted nutrients, increased insulin resistance, increased inflammation, dysbiosis, et cetera. So if these were not addressed, they could be affecting your cycle, they could be affecting your health, uh, especially if I mentioned you've been on them for a number of years, so just something to take into account. I do have a blog post on post-pill management. I will link that in the show notes if this is something that resonates for you and if something you wanna learn more about. 
Next question is how will you know if you're insulin resistant? So some symptoms of insulin resistance include fatty liver, skin tags, imbalanced cholesterol levels, dark skin patches, difficulty losing weight, easy weight gain, excess belly fat, fatigue, sugar and carb cravings. And then some markers that are usually tested include fasting glucose, fasting insulin, HbA1c, HOMA2, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but it's HOMA2, and then the triglyceride to HDL ratio, and glucose tolerance test. So I definitely recommend um, checking in with your doctor to test for any form of insulin resistance or blood sugar imbalances if you haven't done that already. And then my next question is what causes inflammation more in terms of around cystic acne specifically? Um, dairy, gluten, or sugar. So it's hard to classify like which food is more inflammatory as they can all promote inflammation in the body. However, this will be highly individual depending on you. So this is why I recommend eliminating a suspected food for one month at least and then reintroducing to see how you feel with it. Because if you're constantly eating it, even just like here and there, it can be hard to tell if it's being, you know, if it's a factor for you or not. In terms of gluten, it has been shown to induce inflammation in the intestines in general. Gliadin is the most problematic, which produces zonulin. This is what's found, the gliadin protein in um, gluten. And it produces zonulin and it binds to mucosal cell junctions and inactivates them, producing inflammation. And another compound that's also found in gluten grains is amylopectin A, and that can spike blood sugar and promote inflammation in the intestines. So gluten can definitely promote an inflammatory effect, specifically if you have an autoimmune disease like Hashimoto's, which is actually quite common in PCOS, um, this can definitely worsen the whole scenario. So I definitely recommend, again, avoiding it and then seeing if you feel better. And the thing is, you don't have to be like celiac or intolerant to have an issue with gluten. In fact, up to 6% of the US population has gluten sensitivity, but most of us have no idea because you don't necessarily need to be experiencing digestive symptoms to have an issue with gluten. It can literally be systemic, like even like headaches or brain fog or mood issues or menstrual issues. These can all be associated um, with gluten if you do have a problem with it. And then dairy, um, dairy is just not the same as we consume before. Like the, the quality we have these days is just nothing as it used to be, where they used to have like local raw dairy, all that kind of thing. There is a whole debate about are humans even meant to eat dairy because it's literally meant to grow a baby cow, but that's a whole other debate. Um, but when we look at the different compounds in dairy, it's not just about the lactose. Obviously, if you can't digest lactose, that's a problem, but it also contains IGF-1, which is insulin growth factor, and this spikes insulin further creating inflammation, and this can also cause the ovaries to overproduce testosterone, which can lead to these symptoms that we don't like. The other thing is um, we don't tend to think about the proteins. So for instance, the casein protein, A1 specifically, A1 casein found in milk has been shown to be particularly inflammatory in the intestines, and this is why I usually recommend avoiding dairy with PCOS because I see it really does make a big difference for people's mood, their menstrual cycle, their gut issues, all of that. Some women can do well with quality sheep or goat's milk products as it doesn't contain A1 casein, but instead A2 casein, which doesn't have the same inflammatory effect. I am one of those people can, who can have a little bit of like goat feta or whatever once in a while, goat cheese, 
Um, but I still don't feel amazing with it. Um, but I definitely can't tolerate cow's milk. And I see most women actually see significant changes once they do avoid dairy, especially with their menstrual cycles, like PMS is gone, easier cycles, um, less, you know, mood issues, things like that. So again, experiment with that and see how it works for you. And then sugar, sugar is an interesting topic because we tend to kind of clump sugar and carbs into like one bucket, but it's really going to depend on the type and the amount, obviously. So refined sugars are going to be completely processed and inflammatory. They're only going to further worsen blood sugar imbalances, inflammation, gut dysbiosis, all of that. So obviously that's not a great option if you have PCOS and acne. However, when we're looking at vegetables and fruits, these sugars are highly beneficial and needed. They're needed for things like liver health, blood sugar um, balance. They're needed for thyroid function. They're needed for the stress response, for hormone balancing, for healthy menstruation. Like these are really gonna be beneficial. Um, but when we're looking at things like excess sugars, whether you're having like a pure maple syrup or a raw honey, raw local honey, those are healthier types, but you just wanna be careful with using them like on the regular basis and in excess, specifically if you have PCOS and insulin resistance. Um, I prefer to use things like stevia or monk fruits um, to sweeten things a little, bit, a little bit naturally. I also use cinnamon on everything and vanilla just to have like a little bit of a sweet effect without having sugar. But um, when you do avoid sugar, because if you're feeling like, oh my God, I can never avoid sugar. Um, the thing is your taste buds actually regulate when you start changing your diet and your gut also starts to change. And so that means your cravings will also start to change. And you'll notice that fruit is actually really sweet and you don't really need anything else. So fun fact right there. And the last question is, is sourdough okay to eat? So again, this depends on the person. If you can't tolerate gluten at all, it should be avoided. However, with fermentation, sourdough bread is one of my favorite types to recommend because it makes it more digestible and it will have less gluten than other wheat breads. You can also though find gluten-free sourdough bread. One of my favorites is buckwheat, and there's also many starter kits where you can use your own, use your own like baking flour that you wanna use, um, and that way you can avoid the gluten if it's something that you're sensitive to. So that is all for today. Thank you so much to everybody who sent in their questions. As mentioned, if you haven't joined our group, highly recommend to join us in there. I will put the Link in the show notes, it's completely free to join. And if you do have any questions that came up from this podcast, or you have questions that you'd like for me to address on a future Q&A podcast, please send them my way. My email is in the show notes and I would love to hear from you.